we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. I want to begin by giving a shout out to all those that are online, especially those that call Pathway home and you're traveling somewhere, you're out on spring break, you're up in the mountains, you're on the beach somewhere having a great time, but for whatever reason you felt Paul called to stop right now and to join us for worship. And it's so good to connect with you and see you. And for all those who just decided to stay home in your pajamas, I see you because you know the time change. Hey, enjoy yourself. Also glad for you to connect with us. So, so good to be with you in this way. And those that are in the house... Can you just kind of turn the person next to you? Can you believe we give them a high five and say, you actually got here this morning? I mean, my gosh, time change weekend and you're here and this is an awesome group. So it's so good to see you for everybody. Uh, yeah, sometimes you got to pat yourself on the back. Well, yeah, we did it, right? I mean, so far so good, right? In fact, y'all did so good. I think we need to move the clocks forward another hour next week and just see what happens. Don't you? Th- no, we, we, we won't do that, okay? If you have your Bibles, open them up to please to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. That is where we are going to camp out today. We're going to kind of, kind of hunker down right there in Matthew chapter 24, the most part. And before we do that, let's just kind of have a short little prayer. God, we open up your word and we ask you as we do so to open up our minds and our hearts. And we ask you to shine the light of truth into it. Where there is any darkness, God, any crevice of the being of our soul that we can't see, Would you please shine light into it? And God, before we ask you to minister to us, we ask you to minister to those in Ukraine. And God, even the citizens of Russia, to both who find themselves in this conflict, and that you would shine light of hope and the light of truth into their lives, and you would strengthen them and comfort them, God. And into the leaders who have positions of authority and responsibility and decision-making, God, again, we ask you, speak and shine so boldly into their hearts. They go to their knees, God, and they would repent and confess and understand what is going on in their own soul. It's impacting so many others, God, that you would just bring an end, God, to this insanity of destruction destroying of lives. Answer our prayer, O Lord, however you may. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We learned last week that the human capacity for missing the obvious, for missing what is right in front of our nose is mind-blowing. For example... Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were out on a camping trip. In the middle of the night, Holmes, he nudges Watson and says, Watson, look up at the sky. What do you see? Dr. Watson, he lights his pipe and begins to think and look around, and he says, hmm, I see millions of stars. Well, what do you infer by all these stars? He said, well, uh, astronomically, I see that there are millions of galaxies, and there are billions of stars and planets. Chronologically, I conclude that it's probably about a quarter past three right now. Uh, Meteorologically, I would say that it's going to be a beautiful, clear, 
No clouds on this day at all. And theologically, I can see that God is big and awesome and man and creation is significantly small. What about you, Holmes? What do you see? Watson, you fool, somebody has stolen our tent. The human capacity to miss the obvious right in our face is mind-blowing. We're in the second week of a series that we are calling Blind Spots. And last weekend, we learned the truth about you and me. And here's the truth about you. You don't know the truth about you. The general level of our self-awareness as humans is incredibly low. And that's the problem. And you would say, yeah, I know that's the problem. I mean, I know some people. And it's just amazing how unaware they are of themselves. And notice in that sentence, the operative word is, I know some people, as in other people. Not me. And that is the problem by definition. We do not believe that we have the problem of a lack of awareness. And the very fact that you don't believe you have the problem of a lack of awareness, that is the problem. So, what is the question? Here's the question I'm asking you to really wrestle with this morning. Who is going to tell me the truth about my blind spots? Who am I going to invite in my life to tell me the truth about what I do not know about me, but they know? Because they see it all the time. We're in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to begin reading at verse 17. A wonderful story. You've heard this many times, some of you, and it goes like this. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on his way, he took the 12 aside to say to them, Hey, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, this is an amazing moment in Scripture. Again, I want you to learn how to look for these sort of moments and notice the tension or the awkwardness right here that's going on. Jesus right here had just pulled the 12 close to him and told them, here's what's about to happen. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. But first, they're going to flog me. They're going to mock me. They're going to do all these horrible things to me. And then immediately, immediately, right after that, it says in verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons, she came to Jesus. And she's kind of saying, hey, Jesus, uh, before you go do that, could I ask you a favor? Could I ask you a quick question? Uh, you, know, you know my sons, Jimmy and Johnny, you know? Um, hey, hey, I, I know you got something very important to do. I know you're about to go do this thing and, and you're probably going to perform this, this sacrificial act of selfless love like never seen before. But before you do that, I'd really like to ask you, could my boys get a promotion? Could my boys get an upgrade? You know, to be disciple number one and disciple number two. Do you think you could do that before you go do that other thing? 
You talk about blind spot. Totally unaware of what is going on in that moment. Now, it's really interesting when you read the Bible that the gospel writers make a big point about this. That almost every single time that Jesus brings up, I'm about to go die, I'm about to be flogged and mocked and crucified on a cross, the disciples start arguing about who is going to be the greatest. So much so, we find this three times in the Gospel of Matthew and three times in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, there's this New Testament scholar, Dale Bruner, he puts it this way right here. Can you put this up there on the screen? The gospel wants the disciples to know their congenital obtuseness. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're congenitally obtuse. And they're going to go, what? (laughs) This right here, that's why you are. Exactly what is going on in this story right here. So you have Jesus, the mother, talking to Jesus. Her sons are standing behind her. They don't have to ask Jesus the question. They can just stand here behind their mom, acting all sheepish and modest, like, you know, we don't want anything to do with this. Really, she's not. But, but, but we feel like we got to be here just to support our mother, to let her know we're with her and it's okay. And the mom, on the other hand, she has convinced herself that she's just doing this out of some sort of altruistic motives, that she just loves her kids. She just wants the best for her kids. She just wants to give them the best chance possible. And she's convinced herself that is her real motive. Even though she already has the bumper sticker, she's going to put on her donkey, my two sons are honor students at Jesus Elementary School of Discipleship. But she's telling herself she just wants what's best for them. Time out. Can I say a word to parents and to grandparents? And parents, some of you who wonder why now you have some dysfunctional relationship with your grown-up kids. Many times parents and even some grandparents suck the life out of their children. Because you get your own sense of well-being and status by their high achievement levels. Here's a little reality check. Many parents feed their ego over what their kids are accomplishing. And you fool yourself. You convince yourself. That you're driving them, you're pushing them, you're putting them in these positions, you're paving the way for them for their well-being and their growth and development. But if you were being honest, if the truth were known about your blind spot, you are feeding your own ego, your own sense of well-being and emptiness in your own life. Blind spot. And in a family system where that happens, the children feel this incredible weight and pressure. And the weight and pressure they feel, regardless of their age, is they're feeding your ego. 
And in a dysfunctional family, if it doesn't get named, if it's not called out by somebody, if it's not identified, what happens is those children, I don't care what age they are, they are taught how to practice self-deception themselves, and they will. In your notes right here, uh, number two. Self-deception, when I cover up obvious entitlement, arrogance, and grandiosity with false humility. Notice right here in the text, the mother, verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons, she came to Jesus, asked a question, and she kneels down. She kneels. Kneeling is a symbol of surrender and humility. In this case, false humility. And here's the thing, when you and I do something like that, everybody else can see it except us. Let's say, for example, use your imagination here. A few days after this experience, uh, Mrs. Z, she goes to her small group. She goes to Pathway Church, and she's in a small group of just ladies, let's say. It's just a group of ladies. And so she shows up, and they're all saying hello. And some say they're doing their check-in. And someone said, hey, Mrs. Z, what did you do last week? She said, well, you know, uh, not much. But I went down, and I heard Jesus teaching. Oh, what did he say? Well, he said something about going to Jerusalem and something happening there. But really, I I don't remember because I had other things on my mind. And I actually asked Jesus to do me a favor that if my boys, you know, James and John, one could sit at the left and one could sit at the right, you know, disciple number one and disciple number two. Oh, you did? Yeah. You didn't ask anything for yourself? Nope. Didn't ask anything for me, just for my boys. Oh, Mrs. Z, what an awesome mother you are. You didn't ask anything for yourself? You just ask for your boys. I hope one day your boys just know how great you are. What a great mom you are. And I just hope Jesus, I mean, surely Jesus will do what you ask. Surely he will. I mean, he's going to see how awesome you are. What a great mom you are. How you just love your kids. He's going to, in fact, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that Jesus gives you exactly what you ask for. That's probably what some people said. Somebody else probably said this. Can you believe she did that? Who does she think she is? What kind of nerves it take to go in there and to ask for special privileges for their kids when nobody else is having those privileges? Who do you think she is? Somebody else probably said, darn, wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> oh my gosh, my, my kids are going to get the shaft, you know. Uh, one and two's already gone. I mean, they're going to be at the very end of the totem pole. But here's what doesn't happen. Nobody calls out what's going on. They pretend and nobody says a word. Here's a little little check. You and I, we talk here in the church that we worship together. We serve together. And that allows us to grow together. But if we collude together, if we connive together, If we pretend that something that's happening is not really happening, we actually deny someone the freedom and the opportunity to grow, and we become enablers. We become someone who keeps the lid on that, prevents that person becoming who Christ called them to be. 
And in your small group or in your marriage, you want your marriage to be like a growth group. You want your small group to be a growth group. You want your, your, your work where you jo- to be a place where people grow. But if you do not speak the truth, call out blind spots, you become a growth prevention group. You become a growth prevention marriage. You become a growth prevention family. Are you following me? Because you tolerate stuff. Now, what happens right here in the story, she gets on her knees down here in verse 20. She goes to a knee. And then she turns to Jesus and asks him, will you make one of my sons disciple number one and the other son disciple number two? And then everybody turns to Jesus because now he's got to respond. And everybody's wondering, what's Jesus going to say to this, right? Now, you know, you think, okay, what is Jesus going to say? You know, Jesus, this, this guy who goes and finds the lost sheep. Jesus, who loves children like nobody else, who never wants to hurt anybody's feelings and never wants to disappoint anybody. Surely he said something like, oh, wow, what a noble request. I can see you love your kids a whole lot, you know. And, uh, man, that's just pre- pretty awesome. And, uh, man, I, I never want to disappoint everybody. I, I never want to make anybody unhappy. So I tell you what, I'll, I'll go ask my father. I'll, I'll go ask him, and, and hopefully I'll, I'll give you that. Hopefully he has a good answer, but I, I, don't, I just... Is that what he says in the Bible? Not hardly. Verse 22. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, I want you to notice right here in the middle of this little verse. I didn't read these words, but they're on the screen. Jesus said to them. Those two words right there, they're underlined in my Bible, to them. He's calling them out. Now, it's very obvious when you read the text, they got collusion going on. The boys and the mom are in it together. But the mom is trying to make the pretext, my boys have nothing to do with this. This is just a selfless act of love on my part. I just want the best for them. But here's what Jesus does. In your notes, number five, number three, this is reality. Dysfunctional family systems protect self-deception and brokenness. That's what dysfunctional families do. There's a psychiatrist by the name of R.D. Lang who said this, in a dysfunctional family that protects protects and colludes to protect brokenness and self-deception, they have three family rules. And here's the first family rule, just don't. You just, just, just don't talk about it. In this case, it's just don't fail the family, boys, by failing to achieve that high-level status to bring our family up the pecking order. Just don't fail. Rule number two is rule number one doesn't exist. Rule number three is don't talk about the existence or non-existence of rule number one and rule number two. Because if you don't talk about it, it's all good. That's kind of the hidden rule in those kind of families. Here's the deal. Jesus is one who's associated with religion, right? Religion is all about the rules. But Jesus is known for not keeping the rules, but for breaking the rules, not making rules, but breaking. And right here, he breaks the rule. 
And he speaks directly to the mom and to the boys. And the boys, he says, boys, do not hide behind your mom. And woman, do not hide behind your kids. I see the truth. Now, this speaks to something I want to introduce you to, kind of the heart of this message. And the opening question is that who's going to tell you, who's going to tell you the truth about your own blind spots? Who's going to do that? Years ago at a leadership conference, we heard this talk called the last 10%. And here's the idea of the last 10%. That in most Christian circles, churches, Christian businesses, or people were people in a Christian family, that many of us suffer from what we call eternal niceness. And so there's a problem, there's an issue. There's an issue or problem in the small group. There's a problem or issue in the family. There's a problem or issue at work. There's a problem or issue in the church as a whole. And it gets addressed. And you address the problem, you address the issue, and you talk about it right up to the 90% mark. But when you hit the 90% threshold, you stop. And you don't share the most important, the most difficult, the most challenging, but the most weighty thing that needs to be shared. You kind of pull back, you kind of get fuzzy and vague, and you stop. You don't deliver the most important part of the information the person really needs to hear. For example, just give this as an example. This could be at your office. This could be uh, in your family, be in any sort of setting. Let's say you have this meeting. There's a meeting. And after the meeting, you're the person leading the meeting. You call out this person. Say, listen, uh, I-, I had an observation in the meeting. My observation may be wrong, but I feel, res- I-, I feel like I just need to point it out and kind of share this with you. I felt like you talked so much and dominated the meeting that nobody else could talk. And so the meeting was just kind of so-so. That's sharing the last 10%. But here's what most of us do. The meeting's over. Wasn't a good meeting. Wasn't a good conversation. And you know it, and everybody else knows it. So you go to this person, you go, you know what? I didn't think that meeting went too well. I, did you, what, what do you think about that? And we, and, we, and we convince ourselves that the reason we don't do the first, hey, listen, I just want to tell you, I made this observation. I think maybe you were talking so much and you shut down everybody else in the meeting. We, we, we tell ourselves it's because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I, I, I don't want them to feel bad or have this, and I don't want to feel the anxiety that build up of not knowing how they're going to react or how they're going to respond if I tell them what I see about them in that situation. And so we don't do it. In your notes, number four, fear prevents me from speaking the truth in love. That's the reality. It's not because you're trying to protect them. You're just afraid. You're afraid to deal with the emotions. You're afraid of the stress. You're afraid to get mad at you. You're just afraid. Uh, years ago, Dallas and I were one of, one of our, our birthday vacation trips with a group of people. And you know how you can go on a trip with a group of people and you're really good friends, but by the time you get to the end of the trip, there's a chance you can kind of get on each other's nerves a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? It never happened to anybody. And so we're having a great time. I mean, everything is going good. We get to the very end of the trip. And sure enough, somebody says something. They just make a little statement and it's not cool. And it's kind of silent, kind of awkward going, 
And the question that's hanging in the air, is somebody going to address it? Is somebody going to say something about it? Well, it got addressed. And it got addressed because I just kind of like those moments. <laughs> I get kind of juiced when those sort of things happen to call it out and to speak it out and everything like that. So we had the conversation. And when the conversation was all over, later on, it kind of calmed down. The spotlight kind of flipped over onto me. And they said, you know what, Rick? Uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, we appreciate all you've taught us and all we've learned from you and stuff and about conversation and conflict and resolution and intimacy and really being open and honest and everything. You know, but sometimes you ask questions that is so pointed that you force us to talk about something that people are not ready to talk about. And I got to tell you, sometimes it feels like it's more about you. Silence. I just looked at him and went, you got to be kidding me. No way. These are the same people just a couple of days ago. They were just thanking me for how I spoken in their marriage and spoken into this and whatever to help them. And now I'm going, they're wrong. They're, they're, they're missing something here. Later on, it's a very awkward moment. Very later on in the night, Dallas and I were processing in our hotel room. And I'm saying, man, what about that was really awkward. That was really weird. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, you know what, honey? I really love our friends. She said, but, you know, sometimes I feel like there's certain moments where our friends are more like your friends than they are my friends. And I got to tell you, I know you're just being you. But sometimes when you're being you with our friends, sometimes I'm really uncomfortable with you when you're being you. <laughs> and I'm going, you're wrong. What? What's, you're, you're missing the picture here. Hey, no, no, let me ask you here. Does this mean that every time my wife and I have a conversation like that, that she is totally right and I'm totally wrong? No, I'm closer to God than she is. I know God a lot closer than she is. So there's no way that I could. But just the opposite. You talk about blind spot. I was totally blind to what that was going. And this is the whole point I want you to hear, Okay. We all need this. Number five in your notes. The most important mirror God will ever give me is other people who love me and want the best for me. And they're going to speak the last 10% into my life that I need to hear. Do you have those people in your life that you've invited, invited into your life? Do you? The Apostle Paul writes this powerful verse over here in Ephesians 4.15. We're going to put it up here on the screen. I would invite you, please, to read it with me. Please read it out loud. I want to hear you read it out loud online. Read it out loud. I don't care where you are. Read it out loud together. Here we go. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Read it again with me. I want to hear everyone. Some of you didn't read it. I have eyes in the back of my head, and that's the truth. Okay, here we go. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Now, I have up here this mirror as a symbol that when I open up the word of God, James says the word of God is a mirror. And when I read the book, I'm like looking into a mirror to tell me the truth about me that I'm blind to myself. But if all of I have the mirror, I can deceive myself on how I read the Bible. 
And you can even read the Bible to justify what you think is okay. And people do it all the time. You flip till you find the text that makes you feel okay with how you are acting. And that is why I need, you need, trusted people in your life that you invite to tell you what you cannot see or know about yourself, the last 10%. And please hear this. You are like a little gauge, and they're reading you. People that you need to speak the truth in, they're watching for your body language. They're watching for how you listen. They're watching for your facial expressions. And depending on how you respond or react, they'll give you the information you really need or they'll shut it down. And if they shut it down and they don't tell you, then you live in a marriage, you live in a family of eternal family dysfunction. And you wonder why you have the same issue over and over and over and over and over and over because you're never maturing, growing because you're not dealing with the real issue. So here in the text, Jesus is looking for any glimmer of self-awareness in James and John. He's looking for, he's really trying. And he says right there in verse 22, guys, you don't even know what you're asking. Hey, 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 can you, can, can you, can you, can you, can, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Just hoping they might have some glimmer of self-awareness. Can you do it? The cup in the Bible talks about the ultimate human destiny of every human, of the judgment of God because of our sin. That's really what the cup talks about. And he asked him, guys, can you drink from the cup? Can you do it? He said, I want to help you. So I'm going to give you three little important words to help you see how aware you are, okay? And here's the three little words. He says right there in verse 22, he says, you don't know. Say those three words with me. You don't know. You don't know. I'm going to give you a clue, guys. You don't know. You don't know what the cup really is. You don't know about my fate. You don't know about the cost. You don't know about the price. You don't even know you. You don't know your heart. You don't know what you're capable of. You don't know what you're motivated by. You don't know. You do not know you, and you do not know me. You do not know the extent of what I can do and what God is going to do. Now, I'm going to tell you again. You don't know. I'm going to give you a clue. I'm going to ask you a question, but here's the clue. You don't know. So here's the question. Can you drink the cup with me? And they say, yep, we can. <laughs> totally unself-aware. And then Jesus says in verse 23, hey, yeah, you'll drink the cup. Yeah, you will. But to sit at the right or left is not for me to grant. See, even now Jesus is being humble. He says, I can't, I don't have the power to give that to you. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now, that's, that, that's, that's the little encounter between Jesus and Mrs. Z and her two sons. But now you got the other disciples. And if you're James and John, you're thinking, I hope they never find out about this conversation. They probably say, hey, Jesus, can we keep this between us? They, 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 they don't. But somehow it leaks out. 
can I tell you something about authentic biblical community? It never is authentic biblical community, and there's never growth if there are secrets. Don't tell anybody. Well, it leaks. And it says right here, verse 24, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were mad. Not because they were noble. Not because they were more pure. You know why they were mad? Darn it. Why didn't I think of that? All that's left, at least, is disciple number three. I wanted to be number one. I want to be number two. And... Let, let me take them in here to say what's going on here in, these, in all this community of, of all these disciples, okay? Sometimes you and I, we put people in the Bible up on this pedestal. And what I want you to really catch right here in this text right here is that the only way you and I can relate to the disciples is that they are just like you and me, and we're just like them. And the scripture is very clear. The Bible talks about it over and over again. Jesus had these three, these special three that he had a close relationship with. Really close. Peter, James, and John. It's his little circle. And this little circle is really tight. And it's so tight when you read over there in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 5 that when he goes to perform the greatest miracle of this, this daughter of Jairus to raise the dead, he only takes those three. He doesn't let the other three go. Those three get to go. And when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, the others, they have to wait out here, and he takes those three in the inner circle. They, they get to go, and the others don't get to. So you can see why all this kind of anger and all this sort of, why they got mad. But Jesus, he calls them all together, and he speaks right into it. And he says, Jesus called them together, verse 25. And he said, hey, guys, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And the high officials, they exercise authority over them. But not you. If you want to become great, you've got to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. As a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is exactly why we're having served together weekend in two weeks. To stop just doing worship and receive and receive and receive, but to lower yourself and to serve other people. Because that's what Jesus does. That's the call to be a follower of Jesus. But here's what I want you to know today. Jesus never lets a destructive, hidden agenda go unnoticed. He uses it to call it out. And that's what he does here in the text. And there's so many families... You have these destructive hidden agendas that's undermining the relationships. And Jesus doesn't do it. It's very clear. Jesus has three different circles. He has the 72 that he sends out from Luke. Then he has the 12 disciples. And then he has the three inside the 12. He doesn't embarrass. He's not embarrassed about that. He's very clear. And you know what happens because of that? I guarantee what happened. Jealousy. Envy. Superiority, we're on the inside, you're on the outside. Inferiority, why do they get closer? All that stuff. And Jesus calls that stuff out to help there be spiritual formation. He speaks the truth to their blind spots. He used it to help them grow. 
And you'll never grow. You'll never spiritually mature until you have somebody in your life. You'll never know the truth. Do you have those people in your life? I'm working on something with the coach that I'm thinking about doing with our local church staff, and it's called the fishbowl. And here's the fishbowl. The fishbowl is when there's four steps. One, you write down with a certain group of staff, you write down all the things, the truth, the last 10% that they really need to hear. And then you visit with the coach. Step number two, you talk with a coach about it who coaches you and helps you understand it and reword it. And number three, you put them all on a poster board. And number four, you go on a retreat and somebody sits right in the middle of the fishbowl and you just go around and you hear the last 10%. Doesn't that sound fun? They call it a fishbowl. When you look into a fishbowl, an aquarium, all you see, it's clear. It's light. You can see the fish moving. They're all like that moving. When you have other animals... When they, they, they hide in burrows and, and nests and you can't see them. Or like cats that hide under, under closets and under beds and eat hairballs. And cats live in darkness. <laughs> They're just of darkness, you know. And I know that's a blind spot of mine. I know I have cat lovers all over the place here. And I, I'm very aware of my blind spot in that area. But you know why we've not done that fishbowl exercise here at the church yet? Because you know who would have to go first? It would take a week. But I'm going to suggest some of you to think about that. In your marriage. In your family. In your small group. Can you imagine what that conversation would be like? Now, I want to say this really quickly, and I want to give you some tips, because I want you to really get this about the cup. Peter gets a bad rap. James and John were little scandals himself. He gave 12, had 12 disciples, three got nicknames, Peter, Simon, the rock, right? Petros, the rock. James and John, sons of thunder. Why do you think he gave them name, the nickname sons of thunder? It's not because they were all... They were always competitive. John was always wanting to win. Go and say, read Luke chapter 9 again. Jesus tells this great story. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. The first thing out of John's mouth is, hey, Jesus, we saw some other guys who were doing some good works. They're not in our little circle. Make them stop. <laughs> he always wanted to be on the inside to be first. You may have read the gospel of John at the very end of the Easter story. These two disciples have a race to the tomb. They actually, on Easter morning, they're having a race. It's Peter and John. You know who gets to the tomb first? Who, won the, who was the fastest of the disciples? John. How do we know? Who wrote the gospel of John? John. He said, I won. I got to the tomb first. See, he was all, he, up to the, for three years, all he did was just, I want to be number one. I want to be number one. And then Pentecost comes, the power of the Holy Spirit after resurrection. And now all of a sudden, James and John, they're growing. And they're suffering. And King Herod, he calls out James. And he has him kneel. And he has a sword. And I'm just wondering, when James is kneeling, waiting for the sword, does he remember his mother who kneeled 
and asked, can my son be first? And he was the first. He was the first to be martyred after the resurrection for Jesus. And John was the last. He lived to an old man in exile on Patmos all by himself. Writing these little letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And all he could write about was love, love, love. He finally got it. It wasn't about being number one. It was just about loving people, truth, and grace. Some of us are a little slow, aren't we? John was a little slow. Fast, but slow. I'm going to give this to you quickly. I know the time. I'm just going to give you these little tips on how to receive and deliver the truth in love, okay? I'm just going to whoop right them. Uh, here, here, here's the first one right here. Uh, the first one is don't empty the whole truck. When you're going to deliver it, don't empty the whole truck. Just, just don't just do 110%. Don't give them 30. I mean, don't empty the whole truck. Uh, second, don't erupt. don't erupt. If you feel like erupting, now's not the good time. And you never say, hey, listen, I'm going to, about to tell you the last 10%. Not a good sign. This is a good thing to say. This is really important. Start like this. Sometimes, hey, this is really important. I really want you to hear this. I'm going to get it wrong. I've been thinking about it. I've been praying about it. This is important. And if I say it wrong, please let me say it again. Let me, let me try again. Let me make another pass at it. Because I want you to hear it. I want you to know. Uh, and, and then thirdly, fourthly, I would say how to deliver it, be humbly courageous. In other words, if you wait till you feel like you can do it perfectly without any messy, you'll never do it. It's going to be messy. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. It will take humility and courage to have the conversation. Now, receiving trips, keeping it real receiving trips. Don't fight back. When you know what's coming, don't get mad, don't get defensive, don't get stubborn, don't bow up, don't get all, don't get all quiet, just don't, 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 don't fight back, don't crumble either, don't go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, I can't believe you love me, nobody should love me, Jesus doesn't love me, oh, blah, 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 blah. don't crumble, don't fall apart. Thirdly, I, I would say, don't soothe. Some people do that, the superficial empathy. Oh, my goodness, that had to be hard of you to tell me that. I'm just so sorry you had to tell me that. I feel so bad for you. Oh, my goodness, on the inside, you're going, I hate you. Uh, but uh, I feel so bad for you. I'm not listening to a thing you say because you're wrong. But, you know, and they're trying to make you feel guilty so you won't ask them again. Superficial empathy. So here's some quick three things to do. Humbly listen. Just listen humbly. Repentant openness, just repent. Just be open to whatever God will have you know. And then thirdly is seek to learn. Seek to learn and do all that without crumbling. Just seek to learn. Where do you get the power to receive and listen to the last 10%, the truth about you that you don't know? There's only one place, and that's standing at the foot of this cross. That's the only place you get that kind of power. Because if you don't do that, you will bow up or you will crumble. But he said, I'm going to speak the truth in love that you might mature and grow into him. And I will tell you something. On the cross, Jesus knows the truth about you. He knows what you don't know about you. And he still loves you. He died to ransom you and to forgive you. 
all of you, even the last 10%. Dallas Willard puts it this way about this thing called the cross. Our darkness is so dark, denial is actually a kind of gift of the human race. Because if we were ever to see the truth about our spiritual condition before God, it would turn us to stone. It'd kill you. But thank goodness for our God who is so loving and so good that he shines the light and he heals us. He doesn't crush us. So here's my question for you. Two weeks, we're doing things totally different, right? But this week, this week right here, who are you going to invite into your life? that you trust, who really knows you, that wants the best for you, to speak the truth that you need to hear. But you're going to invite them in. You don't come in uninvited. You invite them in. Who are you going to do that to? Who are you going to say? you got an open door. you got an open door. You see it? I want to know about it. This week, okay? You're going to do that this week. Are you excited? Can you not wait for somebody to tell you what? Can I get a head nod or something for anybody? Just, just, just can I, Okay, are you going to do it? Just talk with God about this for a second. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? I promise you it's going to be messy. I know it's going to be awkward. I know pride, arrogance, all this self-deception, all this stuff is going to spill out in that moment because the disciples... They didn't do it perfectly either. But somehow Jesus, he just never quit on them. Could you please not quit on the people in your life? Don't quit on them. So many people you quit, you think, I just got to get those people out of my life. I, got, I just got to have super healthy people in my life. I can't have these unhealthy people in my life. I got to quit on them. Can I ask you, what if they made the same decision? What would happen to you? Where would you be if they chose to get all the healthy people, unhealthy people in their life gone? Where would you be? I'll tell you where you'd be. So God just... We just ask you to make our hearts soft. Make our minds open. Help our spirits to be willing to receive that which we need to receive about us. Shine the light of your truth and grace even though it may sting into our soul. That we might grow and mature into him. That is Jesus. Help me to invite people into my life for just that reason. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See you next weekend. Have fun. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.